I'm going to, I said to the brother, I'm going to steal two minutes, tell you about the Elim Basic School ministry. I was introduced not too long ago at a, at a convention, and the person said, we're going to ask Brother Hart to come along and give us the message the Lord has laid upon his heart. The only thing I know about this brother is that if you cut him on his left hand, he will bleed brethren. And if you cut him on his right hand, he will bleed Elim Basic School. It is very dear to my own heart. We're originally from the island of Jamaica. There's an assembly there called Elim Assembly that has been in since I was 10 years of age. And uh, when we migrated to the States, everything was going well, but the migration took its toll. Lots of the professionals in our assembly migrated out to the States and Canada and England. And so the assembly suffered the loss of ministering brethren in the assembly. And right now, at your prayer meeting, I'd ask that you pray that God would bring about some leadership in the individual assemblies across the island. And in the case of Elim, the school that was up and going was just about dying. When I retired from business in the year 2000, I went into Jamaica, saw a situation with my own home assembly, and um, I just asked the Lord, would you open up some way that I could be involved with it? And I'm here happy to report to you that God has been very gracious to this ministry. It caters for three to six years old. The government takes you from six years to 18 in education. And you and I know that by the time the little kid is six years old, everything is formulated up here already, and he could be on the wrong road of wrong side of the track. So we take them from three to six years old. Right now we have got accommodation for 210 kids. This particular term we're running through with 189 of them. First thing, we feed them a meal every day, a cooked meal at lunch hour. That means it gives us about a thousand meals per week. There are 36 weeks of school, so that's 36,000 meals that we provide for one year for these kids. And it's for 90% of the student body. It's the best meal that they will have. Poverty is in Jamaica. We got quite a lot of depressed folks that comes to the school. But what has happened is this. The school comes in and we are graduating like 65, 70, and we're bringing in 65, 70 new ones. The 6570 comes out of a family with a mom and a dad. So guess what? Those new 70 kids are bringing in 140 adults. We have to drop it down because some of the parents are single parents. So we take off 40 and at least the assembly now has 100 adults that they get contact with through this basic school every year, every September. You're not going out to find these people. These people are from your own neighborhood, and they are coming to you. So the church has got a hundred adults to deal with. And not only that, the church is growing because these adults are the ones that are turning their lives over to the Lord and is being brought into the fellowship of the, people, of the Lord's people. And then the Sunday school. Once the kid comes to this basic school, you know the recommendation is, what do you do on a Sunday morning? Then get them dressed and we'll pick them up or some will just come straight on in. And so the Sunday school has grown. They have to find teachers for the kids. So we just praise the Lord for the work that has been done in that ministry. And I want to publicly thank 
the assembly here at Boulevard Bible Chapel for the input that they have had over the years to keep this ministry alive. Because of the lack of ministering brethren there at this time, sometimes I go to Jamaica, I'm going down for four weeks, and there's probably 16 times I'm going to have to minister the word throughout some in the country parts and some in the main city of Kingston. So I'm going to ask as you go to prayer, that you call me by name and says, Lord, remember Brother Walter Hart and be to him what he stands in need of, sometimes physically, more so spiritually. Glad to see some of our folks from the Cato Bible Chapel. They know my cousin Ronnie very well. I don't know what they're going to tell him after I'm through. <laughs> um, shall we look to the Lord for a quick moment? And now, Father, thou knowest the secrets of every heart bowed in thy divine presence. Thou knowest our individual needs. And for this we pray. Would you then minister out to our each and every need we ask of thee. Bless thy word to our each and every heart, both speaker and hearer alike. And as we come to the close of our session today, may we move away from this room, being impressed with only the Lord Jesus Christ. And these mercies we ask in thine own worthy and precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I'm going to talk to you tonight, and a question is going to be the basis of our talk. Why are Christians left in this world? When you come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, you turn your life over to him. Why doesn't he just lift you up out of here and take you to be with himself. Is there a reason why we are left in this world after we have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior? And it is that we're going to try to answer for the time left at our disposal tonight. <clears throat> have you ever wondered, why am I left here after I've trusted Christ as Savior? The first I want to leave with you, that Christians are not of this world. And so we're going to go into the prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ made in chapter 17 of John's Gospel. We're just going to read out a few verses. And as we go in our deliberations, you will see where these verses fit into what we're saying tonight. John's Gospel, chapter 17. And suppose we start at verse 14. I have given them thy word. This is in the prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is making. And the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that <clears throat> thou shouldest taken them out of the world, <clears throat> but that thou shouldest holdest, thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy truth, thy word is truth. And thou hast sent me into the world. Even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on, the, on me through thy word. And then verse four, 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, 
that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundations of the world. All that is in the Lord's Prayer for his people. And I want you to realize that he did say in his prayer, this prayer is not for the disciples alone that was around him, but for all those who will believe, which includes you and I. So now we think of one of the things is that Christians are not of the world. The redeemed are in the world, but we are not of the world, like a, a cruiser or a ship. It's in the ocean, but it is not of the ocean. In the New Testament, we are warned against the world. We are not to love the world. Like a 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 starts it to 17. What does it say? It says, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, then the love of the Father is what? Not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And guess what? The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth for how long? Forever. Are you getting what the Lord is saying to us tonight? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Secondly, we are not to fellowship with the world. Look at 1 John 1 and 3. Our fellowship is with who? God the Father. And who else? And His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that is telling me? That is telling me that when, I, when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, we are brought into the highest order of fellowship. It can't get any better. We have been brought into the fellowship of God the Father, the creator of the universe, the one by whom all things consist, and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid the redemptive price of your soul and mine back to God. We have been brought into this highest order of fellowship. But guess what? That's not all. We are brought into the highest character of fellowship called saints. You ever get up one morning and say to yourself, I don't feel very saintish today. Does that ever happen to you? Some of the times the old devil would come by you when your thoughts might not be where it ought to be and you say, you talk about you're a saint? Yes, I go back to the word of God. We have not only brought into the highest order of fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but with the highest character of fellowship, which is saints, but not all. Our fellowship with the Father also brings us into the highest function of fellowship, which is priests. Did you know that every believing child of God becomes a priest of God? We are brought into a royal priesthood, a peculiar people that is going to show forth the praises of him that has called us from darkness into his marvelous light. I might get an invitation. In my mind, it can't be reality from the President of the United States. I don't think I'll ever get it. But sometimes I say, if I got it, it has nothing to do with the fellowship that I have with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't even come alongside it because there's nothing between that fellowship and the fellowship of the great President of the United States. 
But then it goes on to tell, and we are not to fellowship with the world. It is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, and goes on to 18, he says, Be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, a lot of people think that, oh, that's only in marriage. No, it's in everything. Be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers in business. You can't go into partnership with somebody in business and says, this is a born-again believer and this is an unbeliever. No, it's mixing water with oil. And my dad used to say to us growing up, as he's trying to direct us, be ye not unequally yoked, he says, if you go and marry an unbeliever, then the devil becomes your father-in-law. How does that work? Righteousness cannot dwell with unrighteousness. Jesus cannot dwell with Beelzebub. Light cannot work along with darkness. And what does he say? He goes on to say, Come out from among them, and be separate. And I, says God, will be your father. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty. And I don't want anything better than that. Be ye not unequally look. If we are not of this world, we will be hated by the world. We read it in John 14. The Lord Jesus Christ was hated, and so will we. But not only that. Let's look at the second one. The place of Christians in this world. As we contemplate, why are we left in this world? Let's look for a moment at the place of Christians in this world. First, I want to suggest to you that our relationship is that of strangers. Our relationship is that of strangers in the world. The problem I have is I come across so many professing Christians. And it's hard to tell the difference. Because they are like permanent residents in this world. And digging their roots deeper like they're not going to be getting out of this world and the world is all that there is for them. I think of Abraham as he sojourned as we look at him in Genesis. What do we find? We find he never did dig down no stakes and put up no permanent building. He dwelt in tabernacles. And if you read it in um, Hebrews 11, it'll tell you, not only him, but Isaac and Jacob along, they dwelt in tabernacles because Abraham did what? He looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. And I wish some of our believing children of the Lord Jesus Christ today would take on a different dimension on being strangers. And sad to say, like I said, so many are digging into the world as permanent residents. But not only that, our ministry of our relationship is that of strangers, but our ministry is that of ambassadors. Second Corinthians 5, I think, and 20. It tells you this. We are ambassadors for who? For Christ. That's what we are. Representing our country in a foreign land. Back in the island of Jamaica, we have got a United States ambassador. He is the representative of the United States, and he tells the Jamaica government exactly what the United States has in mind or don't have in mind for them. You are an ambassador in a foreign country. You cannot vote. You have nothing to say about the operation of the government of that country. But we find so sad 
that so many of God's people who are supposed to be ambassadors in this world, they look like they are permanent residents. And we find it hard to find out how much of an ambassador there. Before I leave that thought, I want to leave one more thought on that with you. Ever so often, the President of the United States calls in the ambassadors to Washington. They have got telephone that he calls them on. They've got the internet he runs them through. He has messages that is written and sent to them. But let me tell you, there comes a time when the particular subject... The president calls in all the ambassadors for what? So that you can hear it, what he's saying to you, and you can go out and tell the country from which you are residing as an ambassador exactly what the president has in mind. And so often, I come across some of God's people who say to me, but Brother Hart, you're worried about me coming to the assembly, but I worship the Lord at home, and I, I watch ministry on television, or I listen to the radio in the car. Find all the other excuses. Let me tell you, there's nothing like coming in with the fellowship of the Lord's people. And in Hebrews chapter 10, 25, what does it say? Forsake not. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. There are some things that the president says that he doesn't send through any other method of communication. If you are not where the president wants you to get the message, you're going to lose it. And then it affects what? It affects your whole life. And it affects your ministry too. But then... Our service is that of witnessing. Our service is that of witnessing. Our relationship is that of strangers, and our ministry is that of ambassadors, and our service is that of witnessing. What do we find? In Acts chapter 1 and 8, it says this. The Lord Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples, he says, Ye shall receive power when the Holy Ghost, or rather the Holy Spirit, is come upon you. And then you shall be witnessing. Remember, the power comes first, then the witnessing goes after. And he says, and then you shall be witnesses of me throughout Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. That's what Christians are left here for, that we might be witnesses for him. He calls us into his service. He works along with us in his service. And guess what? He turns around and he sets up a reward for our service. And let me say to you, my brother, my sister, depending on how effective your service and mine is going to be in the field of witnessing depends on how much time we spend with him. Show me a man who spends time with him and I'll show you a man who will witness for Jesus Christ in a fashion that you've never seen it before. Why? Because I want to spend time with him that I might learn of him that I might get to know how to walk like him and talk like him. My general mannerism will be like him. My actions will be like him. My reactions will be like him. And there will be power in my witnessing because I spend time with him. I think of a man and a woman who went out and they did service for the Lord for over 25 years in Africa. And they were on their way home. So they went up to London, boarded the Queen Mary, I think the name of the boat was, and headed for New York City. And on board was the Queen Elizabeth II. When he came into the, the, the New York harbor and the boat pulled up, 
it's like a red carpet was rolled out that the queen is going to be walking on the steps and thousands of folks have come to see the queen coming to the United States on her first visit. And here we find the man and the wife who had served the Lord in his service in Africa for 25 years. Nobody to meet him. So he turned to his wife and he says, what a difference. That queen doesn't do anything. And we are coming off the field of 25 years of service and there's nobody here. We've got to ask the guy, where do we find the Greyhound bus to head us out where we are going home? And his wife turned around and says, honey, we're not home yet. We are not home yet. There is a war that is coming that you and I will never be able to understand. When the Lord Jesus Christ looks across and he sees the service that we do for him and he hands us our reward. Question is, am I going to get into his presence empty handed? You know what I like about Paul the Apostle? And I like him as a character next to the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible. He said this to the, to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And the grace of God was not bestowed upon me in vain, but I labored more abundantly than all the apostles put together. And he said, and yet not I. It was the grace of God that worked in me to get about the work that was done for God. Is it possible that the grace of God could have been wasted on any believing child of God because they will arrive in heaven. Yes, I got the ticket for heaven and I open up and coming empty-handed. Oh, that we might seek by God's grace. That in service for him, we would say to the Lord tonight, Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I nobly do my part to win that soul thee. Let's go to a third one. Why Christians are left in this world? First, we are left here for our own sake as in learning. We are left here for our own sake as in learning. You say, learning, Brother Hart? Yes. We need to learn the lessons of faith. We need to learn the lessons of patience. And we need to learn the lessons of endurance. Of faith. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So you come to him, and you come to him by faith. And I like how Paul the Apostle, writing to the Galatian church, and he puts it so aptly, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I live, I live by what? By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. We need to learn to learn the lessons of patience. You know, we live in a day and age now, everything is instant. The other day I was addressing a, a graduating class and I said to them this, I said, most of the men, or rather the boys of 18, 19, coming out of high school, 
They want to drive the Mercedes Benz. They don't want dad to talk about a Chevrolet. You see where I'm at? They want to get to the top of the ladder and they haven't stepped up the first ladder as yet. Too sad. Not only faith, but patience. What does the Bible say in Isaiah 40? It says, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. See where they are? They are going to mount up waiting on the Lord. Like eagles, they shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Sometimes we get in the presence of the Lord and we tell him, we want this Lord, but we want it now. Thank God he's not like man. He's saying, hold on, my child. You're asking for something, but I have got something bigger for you. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he's saying to your heart and mind, not only do I'm leaving you here for your own sakes, that you might learn what patience is, might learn what faith is, but also endurance. You know what I think broke the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ as he walked along the scene? In John's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 66, he said this. He says, some of his disciples walked no more with him. Not the twelve. He had other disciples. And he says, what happened? They could not endure. And God is saying, I want you to endure. And I want you to learn the lessons of faith and patience and endurance. If there's a man that knew about endurance, it would be Paul the Apostle. Care not what you did with him. He never got over the grace of God, what God should have done with him on the road to Damascus. If God was man, he would have wiped Saul of Tarsus off of the map. But what happened? The Saul of Tarsus, by the grace of God, became Paul the Apostle. It's amazing what we will do if we just allow God to take hold of us. And he was writing to Timothy at the end of his days. He said, Timothy, you know something? I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course and I've done what? Kept the faith. Therefore is there laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day. And not unto me only, but unto all those who love is appearing. Do we want to die like that? To get away from this world as a victor for the Lord Jesus Christ and say to our friends and our relatives, guess what? I have fought a good fight. I've finished the course and I've kept the faith. You know, I want to leave here on top. I want the Lord to make me strong right out to the end. Then I could write to my friends and my relatives when I feel like time to go. I could say like Paul, I've fought a good fight. Secondly, we are left here for the world's sake. Now the first one was for our sakes. Next time is for the world's sake as in rescuing. For own sake as in learning. For the world's sake as in rescuing. Rescue what? The perishing. Care for the dying. That's what we are left here for. Our sakes first and then the world's sakes after. What are we doing with the world? Are we creating in the world, in the small world we live, at work, at school, at play? Are we creating a thirst for God? 
What is the world seeing in us? They're seeing the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ dwelling in us. Let your light so shine before man. And then that will bring glorifying your Father which is in heaven. You're the light of the world and you're the salt of the earth. But then what? We are not only here for our sake, nor the world's sake, but I'd like to suggest we're here for Christ's sake. We're here for Christ's sake as in representing in essence, when the world wants to find out what the kingdom of God is like, what happens? Take a look at me. That's where it ought to be. What was the prayer that the Lord was teaching the disciples how to pray? Back in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. This is not, 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 not the Lord's prayer. This is the disciples' prayer. And what was the request? Lord, thy kingdom come on where? On earth. As it is in heaven. That's how God's people should be operating as kingdom citizen of heaven. And so hard these days to get a difference between operating in the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven. He wants us to give a little light to a dark world and represent him. By the fruits, we are going to know them. When we are surrendered to the blessed Holy Spirit to operate his work in your life and mine, we will be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. What is that? That's what the world is looking for. Love and joy and peace and hope and faith and long-suffering and gentleness and meekness and kindness and self-control. Can we say that we are exhibiting the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit? Something that would represent who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And then in our associations. Who do the world see us running with? People of the world? Those who love the world are enemies of God. Can you imagine? And Paul the Apostle wrote to the Roman church in chapter 12 and he says I beg of you I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by what the renewing of your mind that you might be able to prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God We're going to close with the last thought. Christians, we are not going to be left in this world always. Aren't you glad to know that? One of these days, our tears will be gone. Our sickness will be gone. Firstly, we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are God's gift to him. Secondly, the Lord's desire is that we are going to be with him in verse 24 of the chapter we read in John's Gospel, chapter 17. We will be with him. We are his inheritance in the, in the saints. Thirdly, we are going to be with him 
says Paul writing to the Thessalonian church, he says what? He says this, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Not Gabriel or the archangel. It is the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangels and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And what then? And so shall we ever be with the Lord forever and forever and forever. Nothing charms me more than that. That one of these days he's coming back to take from this world his own. And I'm going to be one of them. I like how John puts it in 1 John 3 and 2. He says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Let me tell you. If Jesus was not in heaven, it wouldn't be heaven for us when we get there. It's only because Jesus is going to be there. And he says, Father, and John 17, he's praying. He says, I want these to be where I am. We're looking forward to the day when our utopia, as we were, will be with him. Because we're going to see him as he is. We shall behold him. We shall behold him face to face in all of his glory. And he said in verse 24 of chapter 17, he says, Oh Lord, not only that these might be where I am, but that they may behold my what? Glory. Let me tell you, eyes haven't seen yet. And ears haven't heard. Neither has it even entered into the heart of man. The things that God is providing for them that love him. What a God we have. What a future the believing child of God has got ahead of him. It keeps getting better as the days go by. And I'm happy that I'm a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Christians are not going to be here always. You know, sometimes we just stop it there. But there's more that God is providing for them that love him. And I'm going to use the last few minutes that we have. Quickly going to let you know. The rapture is going to take place. And we're all going up to heaven. We're going to be up there for how long? Seven years. The world is going to see a tribulation like they've never seen tribulation before. And at the end of those seven years, our Savior, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he'll be coming back on a white horse, not riding a donkey in Jerusalem. He's going to be riding the white horse. And he's coming back with who? With his saints. What is he coming back for? He's going to settle off the world in 24 hours. And he's going to take up his reign in Jerusalem. And we are going to reign with him for how long? One thousand years. When peace is going to be on this world like they've never seen peace before. And then the end of that thousand years is going to come. And guess what's coming up right after that? Just as he began a slot of time in eternity, the end of time will come. And we'll be on with our way to eternity. And when it's all finished and the great white throat judgment is over and those who have rejected Jesus Christ for Savior of their, their lives, you're gone into an eternity without God. 
But here's what God is providing for his people. You remember what he said in John's Gospel 14? He said to his disciples when they were a little troubled about the things that was going to happen to the Lord Jesus, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me, says the Lord Jesus Christ. I go to prepare what? A place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there ye may be also. He is preparing a place for who? For us. The new Jerusalem is being put together and it is coming out of heaven itself. You know what the Bible says about the new Jerusalem that we are going to dwell in? It is 1,500 miles wide. It is 1,500 miles long. And it is 1,500 miles high. You think your imagination can stretch for that? There will be no need for the sun or the moon because the glory of the Lord is going to shine forth throughout 1,500 cubic miles on the new Jerusalem. Aren't you happy to know where we're getting, where we're going, and who we are going to be with? One of these days, we're going to bear our last burden. We're going to cry our last tear. We're going to experience our last pain. We're going to pass through our last trial. And possibly, we will bury our last loved one. And then, what do you think is going to take place? Jesus shall come. In the fullness of glory. To receive from this world his own. And you know what we ask today? We ask, Lord Jesus, how long? How long ere we shout the glad song? Christ returning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. The Lord deemed fit to take my wife home. It'll be eight years ago come October. And this is where my imagination stretches ever so often. What was it like when she stepped on shore? What is it going to be like when I step on shore? And the words of the song keep ringing in my heart. Oh, stepping on shore and finding it heaven. Or taking a hand and finding it God's. Or taking a breath and finding it celestial. Or waking up in glory and finding it home. Lord, bless thy word to our each and every heart tonight, we pray. Send us on our way rejoicing. And now may the peace of God that is so abiding. And the love of God that is so abounding. And the grace of God that is so amazing which will garrison the hearts of thy believing children in one until Jesus Christ shall come. And these mercies we ask in thine own worthy and precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.